0: Let's read today's passage, Ephesians four, verses twenty five through thirty-two. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members excuse me, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. Lord, uh, just thank you for your word. Um, it's just awesome that we we get to be here today, listen to Jason uh, present this word to us. Lord, thank you that uh, your word never returns void. Lord, uh, just be w- be with us all as we uh, as we listen. Meet us where we are, and. Uh, Lord, we just love you. In your name we pray, amen.
1: Good morning, church family. How's everybody? Good. This, uh, this uh, floor format really is messing me up. Um, if you uh, are new to Church Project, normally we have three stations of chairs, and uh, this morning there's two, last week there was two, and Chad and I got in here earlier, and we um, I was trying to figure out where I was going to be, where I was going to stand, and there was actually another row of chairs that was right up here. We actually had to move to the back because I felt like I was up on top of Chad and Christina and probably Brittany, and that wouldn't be cool. So anyway, um, how's everybody doing? I've got a lot of weight, I feel like, this morning. I uh, had a couple different uh, issues that came up with work this morning, things that shouldn't have happened that happened, and then... Um, I literally get in my truck this morning, um, turn on my key, and uh, start driving down the driveway, and uh, thank goodness that there's technology in my vehicle to tell me when my tire's flat, because I had no air in that right front tire, and so it's like, man, you gotta go figure that out. It was late to our elder meeting this morning, so I just feel a little frazzled. Does anybody else feel frazzled this morning? That song does me really well. Think about the the yoke of Jesus, and that it's light on us. Take that burden, cast it before your heavenly father. Let him deal with that this morning. Um, My name is Jason. I'm one of the elders here at Church Project. Uh, If you're here for the first time or the hundredth time, we're really uh, thankful that you're here. I'm glad that you get to be a part of our family this morning. Um, We're going to be in the book of Ephesians like Chad read from this morning. If you have a, a Bible, I'd encourage you to go ahead and open that up. Um, Chapter 4 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, there are uh, Bibles scattered underneath the chairs in front of you. um, And you can find Ephesians 4 on page 675 in that Bible. And as we get there, I'd kind of just like to open up this time in prayer. Let my heart, my mind settle a little bit. Maybe you're in the same place. So let's, uh, let's just approach Jesus this morning. Lord, you are um, good and, and, and faithful. You've, you've proven in, in my life, uh, in the lives of people here, that you are uh, faithful in our past. You've done wonderful things, countless number of wonderful things in, in my life. And uh, as we uh, engage uh, in an act of faith in your word this morning, we we know that your word is not going to come back void. Lord. The book of Isaiah tells us that, that it's going to accomplish the things for which you purpose. God, I know that you have purposed uh, many things for us this morning, Lord. And so I pray that you just settle our hearts, settle our, our um, minds to reflect um, on the greatness of who you are and what you've done in our lives and the way that you want us to express those things um, in the places and the spaces that we as Christians get to, to partake in the mission that you have ultimately called us to. Lord, help us to um, apply that which is taught. Help us to believe that which is taught this morning. Help um, these words be your words, not my words. May they be um, fuel on the fire of our affections for you this morning. God, that's my prayer, that we would leave with a greater view of who you are and the love and care and affection that you have for us as your children this morning. We ask this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, I wanted to start this morning with a question. What role do God's commands play in your life? Think about that for a moment. What role do God's commands, the things that he's instructed us towards, the things that he's given us counsel on, what role do those things play in your life? Maybe they're... um, burdensome to you at times. Maybe they're, they feel like bondage to you at times. Maybe they feel like freedom to you. Maybe they're a joy. Maybe they're importance. Maybe they, they feel like they're um, optional to you. I'm not really sure. What role do God's commands play in your life? As a church family, we've entered into like this halfway point. We're, we're a little more than halfway into the book of Ephesians, and we, we're going to hit this this, um, this phase where we've transitioned, okay, um, from the two parts of the book of Ephesians. We said from the very beginning that the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians um, are the way that we think about God, and then the second three chapters of the book of Ephesians are the way that we live for Him. Um, other people, uh, smarter people than I um, have coined this the the doctrine of the Christian faith and the life of the Christian faith. Still others have said this is like the experience of the gospel and this is the expression of the gospel message. And because we want to be simple, I was trying to think about an even simpler way to put it and really in reality, um, at large, this is who we are, therefore, this is what we do as Christians and i think at large that's the way that paul sees it at least that's the way paul sees it in this text this morning that we're going to read you can look at verse 27 or 25 excuse me therefore having put away falsehood therefore i love words that help me understand the meaning of the text therefore or for that reason or consequently having put away falsehood do what follows and we're, we're familiar with that idea of putting away, right? It's what Aaron taught on last week, the putting away of the old self and putting on of the, the new self. And um, that's the way the ESV says it. The NASB is actually more helpful to me in, in thinking about it. Um, in, in verse 22, it, it uses the word lay aside the old self and then uses that same phrase in verse 25, lay aside falsehood. So for Paul, these two texts are very much connected. Okay, the laying aside of the falsehood uh, is connected with the fact that you have laid aside the old self, which is what we talked about last week. Paul he sees a break that occurs within his writing that because of these things, do these things. And he's he's pretty confident. He's a he's bold in speaking and calling us towards these things. We're gonna see that as we walk through the next three, uh, two chapters technically, two chapters of the book of Ephesians, he's going to call us to some pretty significant things in our lives. And the reason why he's um, confident in calling us towards those things is because of what he's already said in the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And so we need to, as we can think about the imperatives of Scripture, the commands of Scripture, we need to consider what Paul is saying in light of what Paul has already said. So I want to think about that for a moment, what Paul has already said up to this point. Just a really quick review of the book of Ephesians, the things that he's encouraged us in, the things that he said we are in Christ. So he's described to us the experience of salvation that if you yourself are a Christian, have experienced, he's taken painstaking detail, right, to talk about how that experience has personally impacted you, that that experience is in the name of Jesus and only through the name of Jesus. That he's blessed us in the beloved, right? Chapter 1. That we must believe in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection on our behalf, where he stood in our place, the judgment seat, and he traded with us his seat for, of mercy. And in chapter 2, he talked about the fact that this salvation that we experience isn't because of any intrinsic value that we have, because of anything that we've done, but because God in his kindness is a kind God. Because God loved us, he provided for us the thing for which we could not do for ourselves. That's the gospel message. And then in chapter 3, we saw that we've not only been saved into a personal relationship with God, but we've actually been saved into a community of believers. Look around, you're experiencing that community right now. We've been um, not only reconciled to our creator, but we've been reconciled to fellow believers and to part of his creation talk a whole message on that but we'll press on and now I I think Paul wants to he wants to deepen um, our experience he he wants to deepen our affections he wants to throw um, wood on the fire or fuel on the fire of that gospel message by by helping us understand how that gospel message motivates it impacts and it shapes every part of our daily lives Paul wants to show the depth of what it means to put off the old self, put on the new. That's Paul's intention as we move through the rest of this book, that we might see the gospel that we've experienced as greater, as sweeter, as more profound and deep. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. So this is the first call of commands that Paul gives to us. If you're a Christian here today, you are called to speak the truth to your neighbor. And Paul actually pulls. It's thought that Paul has actually pulled this phrase, "Speak the truth with uh, your neighbor," um, out of the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Zechariah. Maybe if you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'm just going to explain to you um, what the book of Zechariah is, specifically chapter eight, which is where this comes from. Is okay. So. Maybe close your eyes, or I'm not a very good storyteller, so maybe don't close your eyes. Um, Chapter 8 of Zechariah, God is looking over the earth, and he sees a group of people that have come together, a community of people who believe in who he is, and they've, they've formed a city. They've come together. They are doing life with one another in all the ways that you would think a city does life with one another. And God describes that city, and he says that they are called righteous and faithful. And God goes on, and he gives that group of people, that city, a name. You know what name he gives them? He calls them the faithful city of God. And then he says in verse 16, he, he calls this faithful group of people to- towards something, and he says this, these are the things you shall do, speak the truth to one another. So for Paul, Paul's taken an Old Testament passage, okay, and he's saying that that Old Testament passage was talking about the new covenant of believers, the new community of believers in the New Testament, that we are, church, that faithful city. And in that faithful city, he is saying that we as believers have a right to, To that truth. And the neighbor that he's talking about is fellow believers. And not only do we have a right to that truth. We have a charge that we're supposed to speak that truth to one another. And I I started thinking about this. And I'm just like realistically like isn't this hard? Like regardless of what side of the coin you're on. Like to, to actually do that. To speak the truth into other people's lives is hard enough. And then to receive that truth spoken into your life, is that not hard? This last week, um, Aaron Havens and I met, and Aaron asked me, he said, Jason, what are blind spots in my life? That is a guy who wants this, the truth spoken into his life. That's not easy to ask that. It's not easy to share into it. It's not easy to receive from it. Why? Why is that hard? Why is that difficult? Why does that feel uncomfortable we're even talking about it right now and you kind of I don't know it just doesn't feel right because as the rest of this text is going to talk about the truth that we as Christians need to be reminded of cuts at the core of who we were prior to Christ I mean look at the the list of things that follow okay for Paul speaking the truth to one another in this passage is going to look like we address anger with one another that's not comfortable We address behavioral issues like stealing, heart issues like greed or gossip or sarcasm or crude joking, attitudes of bitterness, frustration towards one another and so on. I mean, just simply put, these are not comfortable situations, not comfortable things to speak into, not comfortable things to receive truth spoken to you in. But Paul He wants to encourage us, he wants to exhort us, he wants to challenge us to see that this community, this this whole biblical community idea, why we gather here, why we meet at house churches, why we try to spend doing life together, if you're a Christian here today, the, the reason for that is because there are no Lone Island saints in the faithful city of God. There are no Lone Island saints in the faithful city of God. Because your experience of salvation has made you a member of that community. Whereby we are called to partake in that community for our own sake, or your own sake, and for the sake of that community. It's like Aaron's message two weeks ago, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Or, guess what, you're here to help partake in the building up of the faithful city of God. Being known by the grace of God to be a a righteous and faithful people. That's the purpose of this whole community thing. Because we need one another to grow up into the likeness of Christ. To be known as faithful and righteous. Because we've been called faithful and righteous in the face of Jesus. Because of the blood of Jesus. So we must church we we must live in accordance with whom we already are or put it another way you must live in accordance to the new self not as one who's been changed and is choosing to walk in the old clothes that you once wore so what does what do the believers in the faithful city of God need to look like from this text Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So one of the very first obstacles that we as members of this faithful city of God are going to have difficulty with is this idea of anger towards one another. And there's a specific type of anger that's actually being talked about in this passage. Uh, Yet again, Paul pulls from the Old Testament. This time he pulls from the book of Psalms, chapter 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. So there's very different um, degrees of anger. The Bible talks about certain um, categories of anger and he just calls those things sinful. Okay? But in this text, there's actually a, um, an emotion that's talked about here that is anger and in that God says you actually haven't sinned, but you might sin because you're in this emotional state. So that's actually what this passage is talking about. And the context for where um, this statement comes from is helpful. Um, David, he's actually the writer, he's accused completely unjustly of some crime or sin that he's thought to have committed. Completely unjustly accused. And David knows that he's innocent. And yet the fact that he's been accused by these individuals or by this individual, it's heavy on him. And it, it produces an anger towards the injustice that's taking place. And yet, as you read through the psalm and as the psalm goes on, David reminds his readers as well as himself, I'm sure, of the joy and the peace that is found in the presence of God alone. So I, I take that to mean fellow member of the city of God. When you are innocent and yet someone accuses you of something that you did not do, they throw you under the bus unjustly, maybe they're gossiping about you, maybe their sarcasm towards you is cruel, or they just straight up slander you. When you find yourself in that place and your emotional response is anger because of the injustice that's taking place, look at verse 27 of this passage. And give no opportunity to the devil. That's Paul's motivation. Seems a little funky to me, honestly. That's Paul's motivation for why we as believers inside of this community thing should resolve our anger with that individual, seek reconciliation, and do it timely, right, before night even expires. Because if you don't, Paul says that you will give an opportunity to the devil. Literally, that means that you will create a foothold inside the community of God in which Satan will strain relationships inside the faithful city of God. Therefore, resolve it quickly, please. I think it's um, important to point out one significant observation here is that in the Bible, there's uh, many different calls, and one of those calls is as, as you sin, you repent of that and go seek reconciliation with whom you've um, sinned against. And it's important to point out who's responsible for seeking reconciliation in this passage. The person who's been violated, not the violator. So citizens inside the faithful city of God are commanded. What should we look like? Well, we're commanded to consider Consider the unity of our community above our own feelings, emotions, and agenda. That's hard. We are commanded to consider the unity of our community above our own feelings, emotions, and agendas for the health of that community. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work, with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need in the faithful city of God guess what people are going to bring in some old habits in this case it's stealing Paula uh, is most likely thought to have been uh, had in mind um, some seasonal workers in the city of Ephesus they get saved they come into the faithful city of God they are fellow believers now and they are out of work because they're out of work they begin to steal to provide for their family and it's plausible that they're even stealing from members inside that community okay so the charge that Paul has for us is that individuals inside the faithful city of God need to put on the new self regardless of how difficult life is think about this I mean it might be a little weird uh, I hope and pray that nobody's in this situation where financials are so dire and so difficult that you give way to stealing to provide for that if you do come talk to me please but I think it's not as foreign to consider the fact that like when life gets hard, when we get stressed out about different things, or when something um, under our feet in our lives begins to shake, that we don't run to God, but we s- run to other old sinful habits. Okay, may- maybe for you it's not stealing, but it, but it could look like sinful relationships. It could look like drinking, it could look like pornography, it could look like eating habits, it could look like isolationism, or any other number of thing that isn't in line with the new self, but it's in line with the old. Instead, Paul calls us to consider how as a member of the faithful city of God, we might benefit the community that we belong to by walking in accordance to the calling that we have, by walking in accordance to the new self so that they have something to share with anyone in need. Citizens inside the faithful city of God, what should we look like? Well, we're commanded to throw off old habits even when life is hard and walk according to the new self for the strength and the benefit of the community. Throw off old habits even when life is hard and walk according to the new self for the strength and benefit of our community. Verse 29, how else are we supposed to look? Well, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I used to be a really sarcastic person. Really sarcastic. Um, In high school and in college, um, I, I felt like God had blessed me with a really quick wit, and I used that to just like thump people. With sarcasm, Take elements of truth Make them kind of funny And then throw them towards people And um, that was t- largely Like the culture of my friendships In high school And in part of my, my college experience And um, there was always Seemed to be one person In both of those two groups That was the brunt of the joke Most of the time And uh, it wasn't until People in my life Who believed that God had saved me, that I had the experience of salvation in me, to call me towards living that out, that I began to see the danger of sarcasm and what it had done to in my life and in, in the people that, that were lives around me. One of those people was, was going to be my future wife, okay? She exercised belief in the fact that Jason is a child of the king, he's not living as a child of the king, and so I'm going to call him to that, kay? One of them was a gentleman named Lucas, Lucas Yegi is his name, and he asked me one day to read this text to him out loud. And then after I read it to him, he asked me a question. He said, Jason, in this text, who's the judge of whether what you say is good and building up? Is it you, or is it the people who hear what you say? You know, I my head a little bit, and I had to think about that, because I think in the reality, I had always thought that, that me being sarcastic Towards other people Was building our relationships Because I enjoyed it who, who, who doesn't enjoy Not being the brunt of a joke I mean seriously um, The reality was That I wasn't personally offended By people making jokes At my expense And the reality is Because I wasn't usually The person getting made fun of I was usually the one That was delivering that To other people So that was hard Okay, well, I should probably rethink my position on sarcasm. And then, then I began to justify it to myself, okay? So I'm like, well, that guy, he knows that what my intentions are. He knows I love him, and, and therefore it's not that big of a deal. And then my wife, my future wife, she wasn't my wife yet, made it click for me. She said, Jason, I'm not encouraged by what you say to him. Like, I am not built up. When I am in your presence and you say those things to this individual, I am not built up by that. Here's the reality. Church, you may have relationships that you can be sarcastic towards other people. But what happens when other people are around the two of you? They don't know that you guys have an affinity for that or, or, or whatever? Are, are th- do they leave that conversation more encouraged by who Jesus is and the expression of him in your life or not? Maybe for you, you don't struggle with sarcasm. Maybe for you, it's speaking highly of other people. Culturally, it's speaking highly of your spouse. I don't understand why, but man, we just, we dog on our spouse a lot in our culture. In general, we agree that gossip's wrong, but maybe one area that we can consider in our own Christian's li- our own Christian life is like the idea of gossip as we present prayer requests to one another. This may seem strange, but it's, it's significant. I, it's been significant in my life. It's like I go to Chad, and Chad and I are talking about um, the week, and he asked me, Jason, like, how might I pray for you this week? And I can say, like, well, I need prayer for this because my wife and I were fighting about this, and she is a... You know, yada da yada 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 and she's made it difficult because this, 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 and that. That's gossip. I'm slandering my wife to Chad. Th- that's not a call to be fake. Okay? That, that's, that's, not the, that's not where I'm going here, okay? Uh, when, when Chad asked me, hey, Jason, how might I pray for you? Uh, there is complete trust and vulnerability about what I'm struggling with in my life towards him. Okay, and I'm not asking for a facade, I'm not asking for anything fake. What I'm in asking, and what I think Paul is asking, is how might we honor our spouses or other people, our co workers, or whomever you're asking prayer for in that interaction? Work was hard this week because we were busy and we had a lot of challenges and things, and it's mostly challenges because of this person who just keeps boom, 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 boom. Like, that's gossip. We as a church culture like need to call it for what it is and we need to we need to throw off the old self in that arena and try to be clothed in the new. Citizens inside the faithful city of God, what should we look like? Well, guess what? God commands us to consider the things that we say as being judged by those who hear it. Citizens inside the faithful city of God are commanded to consider the things that we say as being judged by those who hear it. That's a wide audience guard your mouth verse 30 don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption but let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away, there's that phrase again lay it aside along with all malice, be kind to one another tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you I think there's only one statement that's needed here from these verses it's kind of like Paul's icing on the cake Up to this point, the reason that we've been called towards certain things is because of our interactions amongst ourselves and how it affects the city of God as members of the city of God that you are. And then finally, Paul kind of puts the, I don't know, the bold or the italic underline. He says, You can grieve God when God's people continue in any of the sins that divide and destroy the unity of the body. I don't understand that. I don't understand how we are perfectly um, justified and, and are perceived through the blood of Jesus as completely holy, and yet this text says that in some way, when we don't walk in accordance to that, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't understand those two things, but we need to acknowledge that both are true. So as citizens of the faithful city of God, we are commanded to speak truth, speak truth to one another, To pursue unity when we're angered, pursue the new self, not the old. Consider the things that we say to one one another and not grieve the Holy Spirit in our disobedience. That's a lot of commands. It's a lot of rubs, if we're honest. I want to take the last several minutes and just return to the question I asked at the beginning of all this. What role do God's commands play in your life? Are they optional? are they required? Are they a burden? Are they a joy? What roles do God's commands play in your life? And I think the reason that this is such a difficult question to answer, if we're honest, is because we believe that we are people that have been saved through faith alone. We believe that we have not done anything, we will not do anything that will, uh, require us more salvation, that we've been saved truly on the grounds of Jesus' perfect work, we've been justified. That's what that word means. We've been justified by Jesus. But the Christian life, being a member of the faithful city of God is not only about being justified. Let me say that again, being a member of the faithful city of God is not only about being justified, being saved. It's also about our sanctification. Us growing and expressing the reality of what we are Because of Christ in us And the challenge that I think we often have Is that we confuse those two things Our justification and our sanctification Our identity as members inside the faithful city of God That's our justification You are saved, you are a child Nothing will change that ever And our sanctification Which is where we are with living in accordance with who we are? Are we reflecting the reality of what Christ has done in our lives? And when we get those two things confused, I think one of two things happen. We can be Christians who don't want anything to do with God's commands because we claim they aren't important, because we don't need to do anything more because God has already done it all. You've just confused justification And sanctification Now the flip side Or we can be so focused on our sanctification What we do Trying to please our daddy As a way to try to earn Our justification Well you've just substituted our Sanctification for our justification Reality is These are two different things Both wholly important pieces Of the Christian life And there's a third one. It's called glorification. We don't have time to talk about that this morning. So the role that commands should play in our lives, what this scripture has spoken so much to is that they are ways that we should read and understand the call to obedience that is expressed over all of scripture as God's way of helping us realize the beauty of the gospel message in every aspect of of our lives, hundreds of thousands of meticulous details or opportunities for the justification of Jesus to be reflected in the sanctification of your life. Where God is going to enlarge our appreciation, our trust, our belief in our salvation because we get to experience it, not just once, but forever. God's commands are intended for us to become more like his son Christ and in so doing, growing our relationship more and more. I think about it in terms of this. It's like the newly married couple. They love one another. It's real. It's intimate. There's nothing fake about it at all, but it's different than the 20-year-old married couple and the 50-year-old married couple. They have context. They have relationship. They have depth that's different. As citizens of the faithful city of God, God has given us instructions to find great joy. This is important. Listen to this. God has given us instructions to find great joy in living out the greatest expression of our own joy. Let me say that again. God has given us instructions so that we might experience joy, which is the greatest expression of our own joy, which is our salvation. If you're here this morning and you believe in Jesus, The instructions that are given in this is for us to experience that joy that we first experience every moment of our life in different avenues of our life. Our salvation, where God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Living that perfect life in perfect obedience to all of God's commands where our righteous God poured out the punishment that we deserve because of our sin, not on us, but on Jesus. Where Jesus paid the complete and full debt that we had against us because we were sinful, and we sinned against the perfect God. He was killed, and three days later, he rose, get this, proclaiming to the world that his work was sufficient in you. That the debt had been paid, our justification is sealed, and our reconciliation into the faithful city of God is guaranteed. That's yours, fellow member of the city of God. And as we walk that out in obedience, God has designed for our joy to be complete in our obedience because day by day, we are becoming more like who we are in Christ. My prayer is is that we are a church who loves the commands of God, not as a way to further our salvation, as to add to our salvation, but to highlight, express it to all the people that might encounter us as we go out amongst this place, so that when you come in, you beam Jesus to me, because I need that. We need that. That we would further experience the expression of our salvation in the face of of our only Savior, Jesus Christ, amen? That's my hope, that we would walk in accordance to that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is weighty. We could leave this place feeling completely over, overwhelmed with the call of our sanctification, what, what we sh- how we could continue to grow up into you, and my prayer is that in so doing, we might look at what you've done Look at our justification as a seal, as a promise, as a guarantee that you will complete that which you started. I pray that you help us to reflect and think and consider and work diligently to have the gospel message express itself in our marriages, the way that we parent our kids, the way that we interact with our friendships, whether it be in this small community of your believers or with the people that do not yet know you. God help us to be people who take serious the call of our salvation. Help us depend on you to complete that which you have started Lord. as we close and as we reflect, with song, may, may we just be a church that desires to grow to put on the new self and put off the old because in that is our joy because you designed it that way Lord we love you we ask that you accomplish all that you have promised to accomplish in our lives, in your name we pray
0: Amen